Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Good morning, everyone. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 19 through 26. Hear, church, now the word of the Lord. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that is, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you once again for your word, for the fact that we are able to gather and read your word without fear of persecution, without fear of retribution against us, God. God, your word is so precious. Father, I pray now that you would prepare our hearts to hear the message that you have Uh, prepared for us, God, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, that, Father, we would not uh, hear these words and that we would not um, turn away from them, God, that you would cause our hearts to hear and to listen. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be submissive to your will, that we would um, look to you and to your glory as the primary thing in our life. Father, I pray these things all in your name. Amen. Oh, what a blessing to be together this morning, to have the privilege of looking into God's Word, and in particular, looking at Paul's love letter to the Philippian church. I was reminded, as we sang this morning that song, Give Me Jesus, reminded of what I was going to be sharing with you this morning. And thinking about the fact that as we face death, our perspectives change. And I will tell you, as you get older, when I was a teenager, I didn't understand the old people who were in their 50s (laughs) talking about heaven looking sweeter all the time. I thought, that makes no sense. You know, I loved God. 
but I was also enjoying life. And uh, yeah, I want to go be with the Lord. I just don't want to do it in the next five minutes. Um, but to hear people say, heaven looks sweeter. I'm coming to a period in my life where I'm understanding, I think, more and more what they meant. Because on the other side, in heaven, are people that we have known and loved and care about. And particularly for those, and and I'm thinking of those of you that have lost a spouse. Heaven looks sweeter, doesn't it? Two weeks ago, as Matt shared with us, we looked into verses 11 through 18. And we know in the context of Paul's letter here, he's writing to thank the church for their continued support. But he also wants to encourage them because they've been very concerned about uh, his well-being. He's on trial for his life. Uh, There's just been great concern. So Paul wants to reassure them. One of the things that uh, Matt pointed out to us the other week is that Paul says that because of his imprisonment, the gospel is going out through the whole Praetorian Guard. Maybe your ESV translation says the Imperial Guard, which is uh, quite a testimony because we know from history that the Praetorian Guard was about 9,000 soldiers. The other thing I think is very interesting is When they guarded the prisoners, the Praetorian guard, two soldiers at a time, would have been chained to the prisoner. Can you imagine? You're a Praetorian guard believing in the Roman gods and goddesses, and you're chained to this guy, Paul, for eight hours a day. You can't get away from him. Paul has a captive audience. You really begin to wonder who was really the prisoner in this situation. Because Paul is free in his spirit. And he said, because of my imprisonment, there's a whole new audience that has been touched with the gospel all throughout the Praetorian Guard. The word has gone out. And because of this, he says, there are those who have been timid in their faith who have now become really bold in declaring the gospel. And then Paul says, as Matt pointed out to us, that there are some who were preaching out of wrong motives. They're trying to add stress to Paul. They're preaching out of envy and strife, all sorts of wrong motives. And yet in the midst of this, Paul doesn't take this personally, and what a great example this is for us. That the gospel is not about me. It's not about you. The gospel is about the gospel. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him. And so Paul says this amazing thing, which I think about because as a a leadership in the church, we're very concerned about theological and doctrinal correctness. And yet Paul says, whatever their motives, I'm rejoicing that the gospel is preached. And then as Justin read for us that last part of verse 18, which is a part of the sentence in verse 19, yes, I 
and I will rejoice. Paul's making a decision here. And then he says, I know that uh, through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, things are going to turn out good. So looking at this, this passage of scripture that we have this morning, it is a very interesting passage of scripture that we have to look at in the context of what we heard two weeks ago and in the context of what we're going to hear next week. As Paul's going to make this glorious declaration, it's one of the pinnacles of the New Testament as he gives us this great Christophany as who Christ is. Who, though existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But no, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant. You know the rest of that passage where God highly exalts him and gives him a name that is above every name. So we have to understand this passage of scripture in the context of what we saw two weeks ago, what we're going to see next week and understanding that the Philippians are really concerned about Paul's well-being, his prolonged imprisonment. You look at verse 19, you begin to see that after the strain of prison and the trial, which most likely had already begun, Paul believes that his release is imminent. Not simply for his own comfort, but he says, for the well-being of the Philippians. But it's also a testimony to the triumph and the furtherance of the gospel. And he gives two reasons. Why is this happening? He says, it's because of your prayers. It's because of your intercession. I mean, what a blessing. And remember, Paul talked about, uh, Matt talked about two weeks ago, that communications were nothing like it was today. And what well, was going to take several months, uh, I recall Matt telling us, to get from Rome to Philippi. Uh, it was not an easy journal, journey. And you've got all of this. And yet, Paul knows they're praying. And there are many of us here today. That there's, there's something within our spirit when we know that people are praying for us, it just encourages us. And, and it's an intangible, you can't always put it into words, but there's something inside of us. People are praying, people care, and that brings encouragement and that brings strength to us. Paul writes to them and he says, I know it's because of your prayers and it's because of the help of the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, we'll give a reference to what Paul talks about in his letter to the second Corinthians, when he, uh, his second letter to the Corinthians. They were the first Corinthians. My brain is on overload here because can you tell I'm a little bit excited about some of the stuff I've got to share here? So I've got to slow my brain down so my mouth catches up. And I don't get my mix all talked up. Okay. So Paul is in his second letter to the Corinthians is going to tell them about the discouragement and the depression that he faced. And he said, I want you to know, we, we were concerned about life to the point of death. And yet God sustained us. And we'll say more about that uh, after a bit. 
There's something about God coming and encouraging our hearts. One, we know that people are praying. But when God just begins to speak encouragement to our hearts, and I think part of it is we're learning to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and onto him, and then he can begin to lift us up. But as long as I'm looking at myself and my situation, inevitably I'm going to begin to have a pity party because poor me. But the more I look at him, and the writer to the Hebrews, who says to us in chapter 12, For consider him who suffered such contradiction of sinners, lest you become weary and faint in your mind, because you've not yet resisted unto blood. If Jesus was faithful, by his word and by his spirit, he can, he will empower me, he will empower us to be faithful no matter what we're facing in the moment. As I said, our problem is we become so focused on our situation and what's going with us and what isn't happening that we want to happen that we begin to lose heart. Paul's encouraged. I I think it's interesting, too, his overriding concern. He said, look at verse 20. My eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always in Christ, that he will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here is Paul facing an uncertain future. But the thing he's saying is, I want God to be honored. I want to represent Jesus well. As I was going over my notes again earlier this morning, I was thinking back to a couple of my favorite stories. Some of them are in the book Martyr's Mirror. If you've not read Martyr's Mirror, it's amazing to read some of those testimonies in there. I would just say, don't read them at night before you go to bed. Okay? How many of you have been to uh, Menohoff in Shipshawana? A number of you. I would encourage you to go. I will tell you that when they were building that, I thought, oh, no, they're raising money for a Mennonite shrine. But now we take people there who come to visit, and we encourage people to go there. And one of the things that you experience as you go through there is they take you to a court courtyard, and there's a well, a water fountain. And among the things there are Mennonite catchers, a long pole that had this thing that would clamp on people's necks so they could reach through the crowd and grab them. The martyrs for their faith. One of the things that I read was that these people were rejoicing. They were going to their death rejoicing and testifying. And people were getting converted as a result of seeing these testimonies and hearing the testimonies of people going to their martyrdom. And they're rejoicing. And they're testifying. So you know what the executioners did? They got very, very unique. 
To keep them from talking, they get a hot rod, uh, they would heat it in the fire, and then they would scorch the tongue of the person who was going to be executed, which would cause the tongue to swell and they couldn't talk. But here's the interesting thing. There was a secular reporter who was assigned to cover many of these executions. And he gave these people a very interesting, interesting description. They couldn't talk and witness to their faith. But you know how he described them? As the people with the shining eyes. I can't imagine what excruciating pain they must have been in. Their tongues having been scorched and now swollen, they can't talk. They're going to a certain death, and yet they're going. And the secular reporter describes them as the people with the shining eyes. I think sometimes we need to look into the mirror and look into our own eyes. In the midst of what we're going through, Are we people with the shining eyes? Or are we with the puppy dog eyes that say, poor me? I remember, too, the story of two men who were going to be burned at the stake. And the one said to the other, he said, will God's grace be sufficient for us? And the one man who was going to be put to the flames first said, Well, if God's grace is sufficient and there is strength in my body after the ropes burned, I'll raise one hand towards heaven and you'll know that God's grace has been sufficient. Witnesses to that execution say that from the midst of the flame, two charred hands were raised to heaven. See, Paul's not concerned about himself. Rather, he's concerned that he might be faithful and unashamed witness for Christ. Remember what he wrote to the Romans? For I am not, what? Say it. Ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus, because it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, whatever the verdict of Rome, which would have been the emperor Nero, Paul's aim is to magnify Christ, whether by a prolonged life or by his imminent death. He is submitted to the perfect will of God. And we need to understand that's faith. It is not fatalism. Fatalism says, oh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But faith is rooted in knowing who we are in Christ and because we know who he is and because we know who we are in him, we can't lose. And we need to remind ourselves of these things when we're not facing the firing squad. Because when you're looking the firing squad in the eye, you don't have time to get it. That's why we need to settle some of these issues in our hearts. Paul's aim here is whether by life or by death, I want Christ 
to be magnified. Keep your finger here. Go back to Acts chapter 21. There's a fascinating thing that happens. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He comes to Caesarea. He stays in the the home of Philip the evangelist, who verse 9 says, a very interesting thing, had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while they're there, they they have a meeting together. And Agabus, who is recognized to be a prophet in the early church, comes, takes Paul's belt and uh, ties Paul and says, this is what's going to happen to the guy that owns this belt. He's going to be tied up. He's going to be delivered. Uh, Let me just read it. Verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of Gentiles. And when we heard this, so who's we? Those who were there, including Dr. Luke, who by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Acts, The people began to urge him, that's Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. But I want you to see verse 13. Here is Paul's heart. Paul answered them, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. There's something in Paul that understands His life is in God's hands. And whether it's in continued living or whether he becomes a sacrifice on the altar of faith as a martyr, what really matters is that God is glorified. Paul's saying, it's not about me. It's about the testimony of Christ in and through my life. And so he comes to this glorious declaration Look at verse 21 in in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What a profound statement. And I'm wondering, as we understand this, how many of us could say, for me to live is Christ, my whole life is wrapped up in serving him. My whole life is centered around him. His presence, his power, not just his gift of salvation, but the reality of his presence in my life. Everything in my life is wrapped up in him. And to die, I gain it all. I will tell you that it's easy for me to respond to this intellectually and say, yes, I believe. But then, you know, I discovered there are other things in my life that want to take over and take the center of my life. Paul is saying his life found all of its meaning in Christ. Let me ask you the hard questions I've been asking myself. What is it that defines your life? 
What is it that defines you as a person? Where do you and I find our fulfillment? Where do we find our identity and the meaning for our life? Where is that found? If it's not found in Christ and being a child of God, everything else in this life will disappoint. I've just been reminded in the last year or so of a frightening thing. Everything I own, somebody else will possess. Because there'll be a time when I won't be here. Now, some of them will be very fortunate because they will be privileged to possess some of my San Francisco Giants baseball things. (laughs) Or my Notre Dame sweatshirt. Now, I make a joke to make a point and to challenge us to really look. We have to come to the point where we die to self so that we can be fully alive in Christ. Here's a fill in the blank, kids. Until we reckon ourselves as dead to self, we can never be fully alive to Christ. The older I get, the more I realize, too, until I come to the terms, come to terms with my own mortality, and that at some point, this body in which I'm living is going to die, until I come to terms with that, I can't fully live my life now. If I don't die to self, then I am being constantly conflicted, constantly pulled in different directions. Because there's a war going on inside of me in terms of what I want and in terms of what God wants to do in and through me. That's why this passage of scripture becomes so important to us. Now we look at Paul, his motives are, are just so wonderfully commendable. When you look at verses 23 through 26, he talks about, here's my dilemma. I'm being pulled in two directions. In fact, that's what he said. I'm hard pressed in both directions. He said, on the one hand, if I die, if I'm executed, I'm going to go be with the Lord. Death means presence with the Lord. We know from 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul talks there in that letter about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How much better does it get? There's no more persecution. There's no opposition anymore from the religious people that had been harassing him all over the known world. Wow, it's wonderful. The other option is, I'm going to live on. Now understand that both options are really the fruit and the result of what has been settled in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, 
in the natural. Wow, I go be with the Lord. Death doesn't scare me. Martyrdom? I, I read here a couple of years ago someone who was being uh, threatened by uh, terrorists. And he looked at him and he says, so, you're going to threaten me with heaven? Kill me? Threaten me with heaven? <laughs> wow. But the other side of that is to live on. In verse 22, he said that means fruitful labor. That's important for you. And he says there are needs that you have that you are facing. And if I'm here, I can continue to encourage you, to see you grow, to see you develop, to see you mature in your faith. And our joy will be fulfilled oh, by your progression. You see that in verse 25? I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progression, progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, I understand. If I'm here, I'm going to see you grow and you're going to be joyful in your faith. That's awesome. Now understand that Paul is not some superhuman being. These are real forces that are pulling in opposite directions in his life. The longing, the longing to go and be with Christ. And at the same time, his love for the believers, for the churches that he had founded. I got a small glimpse of that years ago. As you know, Janice and I spent 16 years in itinerant ministry traveling all over the United States and Canada. We were primarily in small struggling churches, places that nobody else wanted to go. I can tell you, I don't miss the miles that we traveled, but I miss the churches. Last time I was in Indonesia, Aiden went with me. I've been there 21 times. I miss the people. I miss those churches. And understanding how I was feeling suddenly began to give me an insight into the heart of this great apostle that I'd never understood before. He said, I'm torn. Now, I will tell you that contemplating the trip to Israel, but also me getting older, you start thinking about some of these things like you haven't thought about them before. Every time I walk through a cemetery when I'm doing a funeral, it's tough when the cemetery's around here because I read headstones and I say, I knew them, I knew them, I knew them, I had their funeral. And then I see our family. I see. Man, I want to see them grow up. I want them to see them become all that God wants them to be. That little guy down there and his sister. Man, I want to see him play ball. I want to see him become godly people. There is a tearing. There is a tug. 
Now, what I'm feeling is nothing compared to what Paul is feeling for the Philippian church and the churches that he's founded. His heart longs to go be with the Lord, spend eternity with the Father. But at the same time, he really believes, you, and you pick this up that I hope to shortly come to you, Paul thinks he's going to be released. He's saying, my work on earth isn't done. There's more that God has for me to do. As I said in verse 25, when you look at verse 25, uh, let me just read it. He said, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul thinks he's going to be released. We know that he is not going to be released. He will lay down his life on the altar of faith. But there is something in Paul that says, my work's not done. God has more for me to do. The older I get, the more I appreciate that. When I was 18, <clears throat> birthday boy, I didn't understand that. But at 76 years of age, I understand it in greater measure than ever before. How does this all fit into our lives? How do we apply this? You know, it's easy for me to read verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's easy for me to say, I need to die to self so that I can be fully alive to Christ and in Christ. But how do we do that? How does that practically live out in our lives? I share a story in, I, in a little book that I wrote years ago called Let This Mind Be In You, which is really looking at this Philippians passage. I share a story that, uh, since I heard it, was never the same. We were in a conference, and one of the speakers was Dr. Paul Yogi Cho, who pastored this phenomenal church in Seoul, Korea. And he told the story that during the Korean conflict, when the enemy came in, they would force people to denounce Christianity. And when the enemy came, they made it miserable. In this one village, they, they took one pastor and his family out to the edge of the town. They made the whole town, the whole village come out and watch as they dug a huge hole. And then they put the pastor and his wife and their children into that grave. And they said to this pastor, we'll give you one opportunity. If you will denounce Christianity, if you will deny Jesus, we'll let you live. If you don't, we're going to bury you and your family alive. So you can imagine the children began to weep and cry out. They were afraid. I remember Dr. Cho telling this story. They began to say, Daddy, think of us. Think of us. Witnesses to that execution said that the that the father, the pastor, began to waver. Again, I cannot imagine 
what that must have been like. When I heard this story, Matt and his brothers were, were just small kids, and, and I, I couldn't fathom being that pastor standing in the open grave. And there is Matt and Jason and Janice. And I'm knowing that the decision that I'm going to make will determine their fate. Dr. Cho said that witnesses said that what happened is that the pastor's wife reached over and took a hold of her husband's elbow and said, say no, say no, don't do it. And then he said, she turned to the children and she said, because she wants to comfort them, and she said, hush, children. Tonight we're going to have supper with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the family began to sing. Dr. Cho said that the song was, There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we will see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. You know that chorus. In the sweet by and by, we will meet on that beautiful shore. Witnesses say the family sang as long as they were physically able to sing. You can imagine. The children were smaller. They were the first to be buried. And then the mother, and last of all, the father. Dr. Cho ended the story by saying this. That there are many people in his church who witnessed, they were forced to witness that execution, and they became Christians as a result of it. I thought, too, of missionaries, native missionaries, especially in India, when they're going to villages that are hostile to the gospel. They are encouraged to take their own coffin with them to that village making a declaration to themselves and to that village that I'm here for the gospel till I die. Till we reckon ourselves as dead, we can never be fully alive to Christ. I remember hearing that story from Dr. Cho. And the cry of my heart is, God... Give me grace to step into the open grave right now so that I can die to myself. So if and when that moment actually comes, when I'm in that situation, it'll be easier. But I had to settle it in my heart. How do you do that? Some of you will remember the late Corey Tinboom. I remember hearing her talk about how do we find the courage and the strength and grace to do that kind of thing. And she tells a story about going to her father and, and saying to her father, I don't know if I have the courage to die for Jesus. Her dad gave a great, great answer. 
He said, Corey, when I send you into the city, when do I give you the money to pay for the train fare? Well, she said, when it's time for me to go. And her father said, that's the way it is with God. You don't need faith to die for Jesus in this moment. But when that moment comes, he is faithful and he will give grace at that moment. Paul had lived out some of this, and I made the reference earlier to 2 Corinthians 1. And if you look at verses 8 and 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he said, I want you to know how we struggled. We said, we despaired even of life itself. Does that sound like depression to you? Does that sound like you'd given up hope? And then he goes on in that 8th and ninth verse to say, Indeed, we had a sentence of death over us, within us, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises from the dead. And then he says, God encouraged our hearts. He stood beside us. I think back of the night, they're out on the sea as Paul is a prisoner bound and headed for Rome. And you remember the storm that came? And the angel of the Lord came and speaks to Paul and said, everybody on the ship is going to survive. And when everyone on the ship was in panic and in despair, it is only Paul the prisoner who is free and standing in confidence and faith because God has spoken to his heart. He settled the issue within his heart. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. In my life, everything in me and around me centers in who Jesus is, his lordship in my life, over my life. That's why Paul is able to say what he says to the Philippians here. Next week, we're going to hear how they're encouraged to stand firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together, not against each other. And the result of that is the enemies are going to be frightened and intimidated, just like the people with the shining eyes intimidated their executioners because they went to their faith rejoicing. Nobody remembers the executioners, but we remember the martyrs because their testimony of faith and faithfulness. There's something that rises up in me that says, Oh God, by your grace, by your spirit, do that work in me. Do it now. And keep doing it because I find that what I have a leaky vessel. So I constantly need you to be refilling and reworking your work of grace in me. Stand together with me. Let's pray together. Worship team, come and join me.
Father, here in the safety of northeast Indiana, we can't even begin to comprehend what it must have been like for Paul, what it was like for those first century Christians who, who faced death, persecution, what people endured during the Reformation for the sake of the gospel. We can't even begin to comprehend that. But we are saying today as we stand before you, God, let us die to ourselves so that we can be alive to you. Do a work within us so that whether we live or whether we die, we do it for the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ that he is magnified in us, through us, before a watching world. We can't do this for ourselves, even though we intellectually say, yes, we can't do it. It must be a work of your spirit and of your grace. But Lord, here we stand today. Help us to step into the empty grave and settle the issue today. That from this moment forward, my life is Christ. And it will be lived for his glory and not mine. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.